Have you been shadow banned by the liberal media? Free market got you down? Do you get ratioed on every Twitter post because of your shit takes on literally everything? Then producer Dave and HK are probably watching your three-hour dissertation on how a tomato cannot possibly be a fruit because gender and critical race theory can be cured with ivermectin. The Intellectual Dollar Tree, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Please leave it a one-star review on iTunes. Check out the rest of our schedule at ecoplexmedia.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration. Just a bunch of people.
everybody. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live on a new night now, Friday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right before Conspiracy Bingo. That's here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. Welcome podcast uh, listeners and welcome uh, live viewers and live listeners to the extent that anyone just listens to the audio only feed. Uh, I'm Producer Dave. You can find me, I don't know, on Twitter, I guess. Is Twitter still there? Yeah, yeah. I, I was using it earlier to, you know, make friends. Oh, good. That's good to hear. Well, um, this is the councilman. You can also find me on Twitter if you like at T H E underscore councilman. I'm usually there looking for porn. Um, but occasionally I do retweet things and, and comment upon things. So you might see a little spiciness out there, but, uh, feel free to check me out there. I'm also, uh, known to be around lurking, uh, at Milpita city hall, burning sage and praying with my spiritual advisor. Um, uh, more on that if we ever get video, <laughs> uh, but, uh, th- that's, uh, uh, you know, what I like to do in my spare time, honestly, I like to head up to Mompitas and, and do a little seancing. But anyway, uh, welcome to Down Ballot. We're excited to be here on Friday night, TGIF. Thank God it's fucked up. Um, but that's usually what local government is. That's what Down Ballot is all about. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm excited for the new night. I think we'll probably uh, garner a slightly different audience and uh, maybe maybe slightly a bigger audience because the, the show that comes after this is actually well, pretty quite popular. So. People might be like, oh, spicy, it's conspiracy yeah. bingo, and they'll be like, crap, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, eventually we're going to have to do a down ballot bingo, right? There's just gonna We do ballot box bingo, but we don't really do bingo, but we, we really should. I think it'd be fun. Oh, and for anybody tuned in live tomorrow, we'll be uh, live from uh, 3 p.m. And to basically until we can't do it anymore, we'll be covering the, and I'm not kidding, there was a 10 and a half hour Shasta County Board of Supervisors meeting, and it was almost all public comment. Oh, sexy. Are you going to watch the whole thing? Well, we're going to watch as much of it as we can. We're going to, um, Media Bunch will be joining me here live in studio. We'll also have Nathan, the creator from up there in Shasta County, uh, joining us via remote. And later into the night, our friend Steph, who we met uh, basically via Twitter and through like the kind of skeptic community, she'll be uh, popping in probably to like relieve one or more people who were who will be like, Fabulous. why are we still streaming? Fabulous. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, I'm, I will try to tune in for at least a, a little bit of that. Uh, but that sounds like a fantastic way to spend an afternoon. And um, I'm not sure what date I imagine um, people will be hearing this show on Mondays because I don't think I'll be able to um, do show prep on Sunday and release this show on Sunday. So I believe people will be downloading this on Mondays. If you're used to getting the show on Wednesday. I think people no people would be used to getting the show on Thursday. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter. We're here to cover the local news not to talk about ourselves. Well, I'm here to talk about myself and cover the local news because that, that's how we roll around here. But uh, what do we got first on uh, leading off, Councilman? Well, uh, this is a follow-up story. Uh, we've heard and we've been tracking um, in the wake of the Chesa Bodine recall, uh, the new DA in San Francisco decided that she um, did not want to press charges against uh, an SF police officer who was accused of a wrongful shooting um, and, and I believe killing uh, of a, a man. Um, anyway, uh, so, uh, apparently the judge uh, has at least temporarily rejected the DA, the new DA's um, request to <laughs> dismiss the charges. Um, so we'll see more about this in this piece from NBC Bay Area. Right now at 11, protesters gathering in San Francisco over a deadly police-involved shooting. This, as the city's district attorney, is expected to drop charges in the controversial case. All new reaction from the family members of the man killed. 
And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us for our midday newscast. I'm Marcus Washington. Don't forget, you can watch us live on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and online. Well, Ooh, just into our newsroom, a judge is delaying a dismissal case against a former San Francisco police officer. NBC Bay Area, Sergio Quintana was inside the courtroom as DA Brooke Jenkins, the office officially requested to drop manslaughter charges against that officer. The judge is now moving the case until March 7th. This is to give the attorney general's office more time to review the case following a request from Kata O'Neill's family. Back in 2017, officers shot and killed O'Neill. This is during a police chase. The judge's decision follows an early morning demonstration in San Francisco. Moore's aunt spoke at the demonstration and is asking people to remember her nephew amid legal process playing out. And it's become so political and the focus has left that a black man was murdered. And he's caught up in a political football. And his life counts. All of our lives count. It shouldn't matter what color our skin is. Now, in a letter to State Attorney General Rob Bonta, Jenkins called the charges, quote, politically motivated and part of a policy tied to former D.A. Chase Boudin. I, politically, I'm, I'm politically motivated in thinking the cops shouldn't be doing drive-bys. I mean, yeah, if that's if that's politically motivated, then I'm, you know, I mean, everything is politics, right? Um, and everything is impacted by politics. And the reason why we can't have police reform true police reform and the reason why you're not going to see very many police ever um charged let alone you know convicted of uh crimes <laughs> uh then especially you know use of force and on and, um, you know manslaughter or whatever you want to call it it's freaking murder um but you're not going to see a lot of that because of politics primarily right um that's what's that's what's at play outside so justice and um uh, reason and you know what's right doesn't really apply unfortunately it just this this one was like this is such a strange case because it's so clear cut like they did not there was no attempt made like once the van had stopped there was no attempt made to de-escalate i mean the cop shot from inside of the fucking car like while the right. car was still moving through their own window right? right that was the one yeah yeah um and yeah this is i mean the only thing that's politically motivated here is the dismissal frankly um it's obvious that uh, there's just the, the mayor and a lot of people did not appreciate Tessa Boudin's approach um, and ousted him. And now they're trying to clean up all, you know, all of the, uh, well, what they consider to be his mess, but the cases that he um, was bringing forward, right? The, the policies that he was bringing forward. Now they're having to, you know, either end them, extricate them, pull them back, slow them down, slow roll them. Um, but that's all politics because they want to be seen as tough on crimes and tough on criminals. Um, uh, the, the whole, I mean, Mayor, Mayor uh, Breed's whole bag is tough on crime, right? With the, uh, the crackdown and the tenderloin and, um, you know, opposing, I think I want to say she was opposed to like, you know, homeless transition centers. She's been opposed to, uh, you know, a, a safe, safe, uh, injection sites, right. Or safe, um, usage sites so uh yeah, it's absolutely political but it's not it not, wasn't chesa Boudin who made it political chesa was just trying to do what he what he felt was right and what people elected him to do 
I just wonder if there would have been a different DA and they would have charged uh, this case if the the DA like and they had you know termed out or whatever if the, the circumstances had been different around this if somebody would have been trying to dismiss this get this case dismissed because it, I think you I think you're right it's that it's that Chesa Boudin is the one who started this case because I can't imagine a world in which like. I can't imagine a world in which this wouldn't be charged as, as a crime, even with right. them being cops. I mean, this is just like, this is just such an egregious, like, like incident. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, we shall see what happens here. I don't know what attorney general Bont is going to think about this. I don't know what his politics are on it. I don't know what his relationships are like with mayor breed. Um, so, and, and others in the situation, I don't know who he endorsed in the DA's race, right. Or in the recall. Um, if at all so we'll see um but perhaps he can step in i don't know what kind of jurisdiction he has i'm not familiar enough um but perhaps he can step in and get this back on the docket or maybe he takes up the case at the state level i don't know if that's possible hopefully because it well i mean the judge sure themes seems to think so and the judge might even believe that the state's attorney general's office would be inclined to take a case like this otherwise they why would they why would they kick it like you know what i'm saying right I guess maybe, I mean, maybe they have as the head law enforcement officer of the state, maybe they have some sort of oversight or jurisdiction over the county's DA, right? Like over the, or all the county's DAs. Yeah. I don't know the exact structure there, but like, I think the judge would have some idea of what the structure is. I would hope so. I would hope so. That's my guess. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a solid guess. I, th- <laughs> I think. Oh, uh, anyway, we'll keep tracking the story as we um, are want to do on down ballot. Um, we follow up so you don't have to. So we're going to move on into winners and losers and the fucking cats out of the bag. There are no winners. And I don't think there's going to be any winners this week at all in winners and losers. Our first story yeah. is from San Francisco again. And uh, apparently there's some proposal to end or uh, amend the sanctuary city status of San Francisco. Let's see what uh, NBC Bay Area has to say about it. Well, immigrant advocates and some San Francisco supervisors gathered at City Hall today, rallying against a proposed amendment to the sanctuary city policy that has to do with drug sales, particularly fentanyl. It is a controversial idea in a city among the first in the country to adopt sanctuary city policies. Here's Sergio Quintana. Many speakers at the City Hall rally gave an impassioned defense of San Francisco's sanctuary city policies. Do not, do not mess with our sanctuary city ordinance, right? We must protect it. You cannot violate sanctuary policy for any reason. It goes against the morals of our fabric here in San Francisco. Several said people who are arrested for dealing drugs in the city are themselves often victims of human trafficking and need sanctuary city protections. In many, many instances, uh, they are forced to come to the U.S. against their will and by the use of force, threat of harm, and physical harm, forced to work against their will in drug-related sales. It would be highly unusual um, to encounter human trafficking victims who are as heavily armed as drug dealers are in San Francisco. Supervisor Matt Dorsey is the one proposing the amendment to the city sanctuary city. I 
am shocked. Market district, which has been hit hard by the fentanyl crisis. Today, he shared a presentation that illustrates how deadly fentanyl is. According to his figures, more than 1,400 people died of fentanyl overdoses in the city from 2020 to 2022. That's a death toll that's higher than the next three causes combined. He says San Francisco sanctuary policy already exempts 45 violent or serious felonies. He wants to add dealing fentanyl to that list. Drug treatment advocates support Dorsey's proposal, saying it could be a deterrent for dealers to help curb the city's fentanyl crisis. We need all the public health approaches possible that we can have to reduce demand. But you have to do something about the supply. Supervisor Hillary Ronan has introduced a resolution to be heard at the Board of Supervisors meeting today, essentially opposing Supervisor Matt Dorsey's proposed legislation. In San Francisco, Sergio Quintana, NBC, Bay Area News. So, like, I'm thinking, like, if you get caught selling fentanyl, I don't think that the sanctuary city laws are, like, you're still, the, the city's still going after you, right? I mean, as far as I know, you know, if you break the law, you break the law wherever you are. Um, it doesn't really matter why you're there or how you're there. Um, but uh, So I don't understand necessarily why it has to specifically be called out. Um, I'm not at all surprised that it's Matt Dorsey that's uh, calling for it. He is, a, I believe, a former cop. Um, <laughs> and he was appointed by Mayor Breed to replace Matt Haney, uh, who was much more progressive. And now we've, we, we saw last week on Down Ballot proposing the Cannabis Cafe's. Um, so get a sandwich and, and a joint. Uh, so, but now we've gone to pretty much the entire, the polar opposite in district six, which includes tenderloin and, and, uh, a lot of, and Soma and a lot of, um, more, uh, you know, underserved, shall we say neighborhoods, um, and Twitter, I think too. Uh, anyway, so not surprised at all. And not surprised that Hillary Ronan would be the one opposing it. She is trying to be at least the progressive mama on the, on the, the Board of Supervisors, um, although we'll hear more about her later on in the story about the, the barricades. Is this is this thing, um, <clears throat> I'm guessing this thing's dead on arrival. I don't know if it's dead on arrival. I mean, if it's, if, if you, you know, if, I don't know what these other 45 exempted, you know, um, crimes are. Um, I don't understand why they had, I, like you, I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed as to why they have to be exempted if you break, like I said, if you break the law, you break the law, and if you get busted, you get busted. Um, I think it's, um, has to do with calling ice or if there's some sort of, you know, if, um, if you are, yeah, if you, if you're busted for crimes, um, they're not going to call ice unless it's one of these exempted crimes. Right. So that, that's what he wants to add is this fentanyl dealing or whatever. So the, the fentanyl, there's a moral panic going on around fentanyl. Like there are, mm-hmm. The, the, the yes. reason we know this is because there are police who have panic attacks when they're exposed to it because they believe that it is going to kill them just if they like touch a bag of it or something. And like, that's not true, right? It, this, it's not true at all. So like, that's how, you know, it's a moral panic is literally people are morally panicking about it. And so mm. I'm just like real, real skeptical of anything going, anything that's like legislated based on a moral panic. Um, I don't think the the board of soups in San Francisco is going to go for this. Um, but we'll see. We'll maybe keep an eye on it. Um, fentanyl's bad stuff. Um, fentanyl is the reason I won't do Molly anymore. Um, fentanyl's the reason I would probably not do any cocaine. Um, basically any powdered drugs. I won't, I probably won't do any powder depressed drugs and it's because of fentanyl. Um, I don't, you know, 
I'm, I don't, I don't have a lab to test the stuff before I do it. So, uh, mm-hmm. just cannabis and alcohol for me now. I'm sorry, I guess. Cause I don't certainly don't do mushrooms. That stuff makes me puke. So <laughs> you don't anyway, have to be sorry for cannabis, man. It's legal now. We'll keep it. We'll keep an eye. We'll keep an eye on this. We'll see what happens here. There's yeah, absolutely. And I'm just um, curious. I'm also curious, like who's selling the fentanyl? Like, is it a, is it a problem mm-hmm. from, you know, the undocumented community in San Francisco or is this just like, is this, this guy just trying to like flex his tough on crime muscles? That's a fantastic point, actually. Data should drive, as our tech bro, Mayor Zuck, would say, data should drive a lot of this decision-making um, and a lot of the policy. And I would love to, yeah, I'd love to hear that. You know, is there some sort of, uh, sure, there's a fentanyl epidemic, but is there some sort of epidemic of fentanyl being sold by or distributed by undocumented immigrants, right? I think that's a fantastic question, Producer Dave, and if you were on the Board of Supervisors, you would get to ask or actually, if you were to go to the meeting or to go to public comment, you will be able to ask Matt Dorsey if he has the answer to that question. I would venture to guess that either he doesn't have the answer or he knows the answer and it's not very supportive of his position. Right. Otherwise, he might have said something about it. Also, though, the news. Correct. I mean, these are like these are like real quick news hits, too. So we don't really know like what, you know, we don't know what they cut out, what was left out. Sure. Of, like, you know, these sure. are all two and three minute news hits that we run here. So who knows? Yeah, who we knows? can look up the memo. So we're going to move on here. We got um, Aaron Peskin, who's just always on our docket, is uh, seems like he's actually trying to help some people out because they got some awnings that are maybe against city regulation or whatever. It seems like they seems like the city's going to try to help these people out, help them either get into compliance or give people waivers of like the awning. They're like, my awning's been here for 30 years. What are you doing? Doing the right thing, basically. Following we'll up them. on another story. They'll, they'll probably manage to fuck it up. Okay, catching a break, a sigh of relief for hundreds of small business owners in San Francisco facing fines because their awnings don't comply with city standards. Two political heavyweights are calling for legislation that would help with some time and maybe some money. NBC Barry's Terry McSweeney tells us more. Well, it means a lot. At least somebody's supporting us. Fred Lowe is grateful. Mayor Breed and Board of Supervisors President Aaron Peskin are throwing a lifeline to many business owners suddenly facing code violations because of their awnings. There's immigrant small businesses in Chinatown that got particularly hard hit and have been slow to recover. And right now, asking all of those people to come up to code and to standards uh, is just a bridge too far. Lowe has operated the only in Chinatown gift shop at Grant and Washington Streets since 1992 and had never heard a word about his awning until earlier this month. This, this is the awning. This awning right here? Yeah. This green? Yeah, green awning. That's what an anonymous whistleblower reported him and almost 200 other businesses all over the city for code violations. Why do you need a permit for an awning? I don't know. I don't know, too. After 30 years, I know. <laughs> it was like literally what I projected. For awnings, so fire or what, what I predicted. Up to second stories, and so they don't fall down on people. But complying with the logging Nord code could cost up to thousands of dollars for permits and repairs. Breed and Peskin would like to see. A longer period to correct these things. We'll come along with some technical assistance from uh, the appropriate department. So people can rest easy right now of all the things that should be that are weighing on people's minds. Uh, we just want people to have peace of mind right now. 
One of those city departments, the Office of Small Business, which now offers permitting support. And so if anyone has any questions, um, they're trying to start a new storefront, they want to do construction about something, we can help these business owners um, understand what the permitting requirements are and shepherd them through the entire journey. It's too early to say whether any city money will be available, but city information will be. Monday, 1 o'clock, here at the Willy Woo Woo Wong Playground, a slew of city officials will be here to answer questions. In San Francisco, Terry McSweeney, NBC Bay Area News. So, a slew of city officials. So, what I think, like, uh, that person, that awning has been there for 30 years. Like, wouldn't it be better to just find out if it's safe and then leave that man alone? Mm hmm. Sure. <laughs> like, yes. Well, this, but this is just some anonymous racist fuck complaining, dropping complaints on these people and, and forcing them to pay fees and fines and get up to code. It's, it's, it's a complaint driven process, right? Like, no, the city, even the city of San Francisco doesn't have the kind of code enforcement where they can be out there doing this kind of shit unless they're provoked by a complaint. So, yeah, yeah. it's, it, it, it's weird. Um, I just couldn't. The guys like I've they've been here since 1992, and nobody's ever said anything to me about this awning, right? Right, and I'm you know, and I'm sure there is a code around you know awnings and how big and wide and high and how secure they have to be and yada yada yada, and and it's all about security and not falling on people's heads. Totally, I you know totally understand. You don't want any any shit. Like if you build the building, you don't want the balconies collapsing. If you you know, if you build a tower, you don't want the, it listing, you know, 26, 9, 32 <laughs> inches to one side. Yeah, you don't um, want, you don't want a leaning tower. Right. So, uh, you know, you don't want that. Um, but yeah, to, to ask these folks who've never heard of this before in their entire lives and never been asked to do it. It's like, it's, that's the thing. It's, it's not, it's not so much that, you know, that it's on the books, it's, it's in the zoning code that they are supposed to bring it up to code. Uh, it's more that like this is the first time they probably ever heard of it right no one when they bought the place or when they built the awning you know no one ever told them like you can't do this or you need to get this permit um or pay this fine or fear pay this fee you know um so that's the real harsh part is that <laughs> this is the first notice and you're getting they're getting fined no so that's that's just wrong so yeah kudos to aaron peskin and mayor breed for stepping in and hopefully I'm yeah. just wondering, is there like an epidemic things. of these awnings falling on people and hurting them or whatever? Again, data-driven analysis, right? You you just, I think you would just be way too smart for City Hall, Producer Dave, um, that, you know, well, maybe just for the super Board of Supervisors. The staff at the city probably has asked these questions. Um, and that's more than likely why the staff wasn't going out there and harassing people to get their awnings up the code. It's also not for nothing, like, San Francisco's building codes are actually pretty strict. It's earthquake country. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like these things, like these buildings have survived like a bunch of earthquakes and these awnings didn't, you know, didn't seem to be falling down during the earthquakes. And right. so I just, I don't know. It just seems like, I don't know. Maybe give these people a fucking mulligan if that, that shit. <laughs> and like, like only go after people that are like replacing their awning or whatever. And like, but don't even go after them. Just like if they're replacing their awning, that's normally when you uh, actually that's typically when uh, a property owner finds out that their building or their property is out of code in some ways when they go to renovate or remodel or add on or do any sort of you know uh, new construction um, because if they're being responsible these days 
they go down to city hall and they file for the permits right and they uh, even if you're doing a little addition on your house or adding a basement or you know whatever um you have to go down to city hall and file uh, some permit file for some permits and then you'll find out like because you have to file you know blueprints or whatever for the whole and plans for the whole house and the whole building um along with the improvement stuff and then they're going to tell you oh shit you know we don't have a record on file we don't have a permit on file for this and that and the other thing that you did here um so yeah that's generally speaking when you find out but again you're right it's not punitive it's not and it's certainly not um proactive right uh, there is no there are, there are no awning police going out there you know i, um, I think a fucking i think there's an uh, there's somebody who runs an awning business who just is like not <laughs> getting a lot of business right now and, be, and they're yeah. like they're the one filing it, the uh the the ones it's, because they know all the regulations for the awnings, right? I mean, they, yeah. think about think about like you don't have to. This requires very few assumptions, you know. Yeah, uh, it's not it's not a random racist. It's a cunning awning business <laughs> uh, owner. <laughs> I mean, oh man, they'd know exactly which awnings are out of you know, or sure. might be might be outside of the outside of the regulation. I'm just saying. Oh man, I mean, if I owned an awning provider business um, or awning construction business, I would definitely go around just cataloging that shit like what's out of code hmm this one that one the other oh yeah that one right did 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 this guy's did this guy's did an ad for this guy's awning business it, like show up on like a little door doorknob hanger the same day that the uh the the, the violation right, the, the, the violation arrived yeah yeah a little door <laughs> hanger crazy crazy larry's awning supply <laughs> Anyway, right, we're well, gonna move on. That story. That story's hella stupid. I hope those. I hope everything. Like, just. I hope cooler heads prevail, and this becomes a. Uh, I hope cooler heads prevail, and like these people get some time, and some people get some like grandfathered in stuff. Where it's like, all right, dude, Canvas has been here for thirty years. We're just gonna leave you alone. Yeah, once elected officials get involved, usually it thing the grease gets the uh, you know gets to the skids, and then things happen. So we're going to move over to the other side yep. of the Bay Bridge over to Oakland. Let's do it. You know who You know who Oak. I feel real sorry for? Landlords. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here's the world's tiniest violin playing for the landlords. So Alameda County landlords uh, are calling for an end to eviction moratorium. I didn't know there was still an eviction moratorium in Alameda County, but um, I guess there is. Let's, let's check it out. Several Alameda County landlords are calling for an end to the eviction moratorium. It has protected tenants from being thrown out of their homes since the early days of the pandemic. ATV's Brooks Jarose has been digging into the adverse consequences. He's live here in the newsroom with more on how the, some of the tenants have exploited it. Brooks? Well, Mike, buying homes, cars, or just skipping out on paying thousands of dollars in rent, in some cases for years. Small mom-and-pop rental property owners tell me they've been victimized by Alameda County's eviction ban. It's the only county in the Bay Area that still has one in place. Shut out and held hostage. That's how Dorothy Wang says she feels about her Fremont home. She hasn't been inside in years. I am angry about the situation. I feel very hopeless for two years. Because as a landlord, Wang says she's gone unpaid, missing out on more than $100,000 in rent. That's despite the tenant, Ashish Sinha, claiming he works in tech and pulls in $200,000 a year. There is just no reason for them to not pay for the rent and just take advantage of the moratorium, which was really meant to protect people from with low income, not people with high income like them. 
Alameda County's eviction moratorium has been in place since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. The law was designed to help renters facing hardship with no eligibility requirements and no proof of COVID-related impacts needed either. Initially, Wang gave her tenants a break on rent. Then the payments just stopped. She needed them to get government assistance, but requests went unanswered. The application denied. They just refused. They just ignored us. But it's hard to ignore the documents that show they bought a new house, yet are still staying rent-free here. No one came to the door and their attorney would not comment, but Wang's story is not unique. It's just unfair to, you know, people like us. Ami Shah and her husband temporarily planned to rent out their home, but soon they say the payments stopped coming and they learned their property was posted on Airbnb. The tenants were supposedly making... Okay, and that one there's nobody to root for. Fuck everybody. Just thinking about hundreds of strangers coming in and out of my property that was supposed to be my house. I mean, that's scary, frustrating, saddening, everything all at the same time. Even with the lease not allowing subtenants, the Shahs say it took months, an intense legal battle costing thousands just to get their home back, a place so trashed it was condemned. I was shaken up with the state of the house. Adverse oh. consequences to the eviction moratorium. Looks like the apartment Skipping out on roughly Man, trash. Look at that. Trash. Shame on them. Shame. Shame. On them. We took these stories to District 1 Supervisor David Hobart. It comes as mom-and-pop landlords are ramping up pressure, blaming the Board of Supervisors and demanding the tenant protections be lifted to prevent well-off renters from taking advantage. I pledge to fight for every penny of lost rent. Landlords, rental housing providers, property owners, Housing providers is my favorite phrase. What I want to see is, you know, justice being done. This is just not right. It has gone on too long. Some landlords have filed lawsuits and petitioned county leaders after months of requests. Alameda County supervisors are scheduled to review the county's eviction moratorium during their meeting tomorrow. Brooks Jarose, KTVU Fox 2 News. I got to go back to Dorothy Wang Brooks. I mean, those tenants still in her home, still not paying rent. Could that all change tomorrow? Or what's your take on what the board will actually decide or not or not decide, I guess? Well, Dorothy is still not able to get inside her home. Supervisors are going to have a hearing tomorrow and may or may not take action. Also, the COVID state of emergency ends tomorrow. So as written, the eviction moratorium would end 60 days later. That would be on May 1st. That just means then landlords could begin the eviction process for non-payment of rent. As for going back and getting that money, that's still too early yeah. to tell, Mike. Yeah. All right, Brooks Jarrell live tonight in the newsroom. So in some of those, if, if the, if as told, if the guy is earning 200 grand and then went and bought another house while not paying rent, that guy's a piece of shit, right? Sure. But the problem here is going to be that that's these, these examples are going to be used as fodder for people who really need the assistance, really need the help and are trying to get caught up. People who are lower income, the person who was just Airbnb being the Airbnb being the place out, they can go fuck themselves too. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, no, hundred percent. And, uh, you know, it, it's just this, these are just examples that'll just get pulled out because they're, yeah, they're egregious and you're going to hear about those things generally. Um, and the news is going to, local news is going to love it and they're going to grab it. And of course, local Fox news is going to love it. The dude with the freaking like, you know, square box haircut 
he's gonna you know chomp all over that and be like yeah people are taking advantage of this we need to cut off this you know public benefit it's like you know people yeah are there um occasional cases of like medicare fraud right or social security fraud or unemployment insurance fraud right we've got that in california right now um going on uh or unemployment benefits um you know yes of course there are a handful of people who scam the system and they get caught generally right that's because that's why we hear about it um and yeah they get in trouble <laughs> they go to jail jail um but the majority the overwhelming majority of people who um who use pub, utilize public services and are served by um the government programs are legitimately you know in need of these programs and are not taking advantage of them and work very hard um to be able to keep themselves on the government programs um and to be able to survive in the first place so i you know i really don't have any sympathy at all for the the mom and pop landlords i'll be honest right um uh, nor do i have sympathy for the supervisors proposing this they all you know sound like uh, they're barking up the wrong tree they're, they're they're they've got a policy in search of a problem um and at the end of the day the eviction moratoriums pretty much you know at, the, at some point it guaranteed that they'd be made whole eventually if they weren't getting rent from a certain property because of you know the this policy then they can apply for you know whatever remittance or remediance or whatever um so yeah there's there are options they're just crying wolf and getting on the news and trying to make a big deal out of it so the government will so the board and they got what they wanted the board of supervisors is going <laughs> to agendize this and, and look at the policy right so they got exactly what they wanted um crying that crocodile tears yep well here's a story i'm surprised i'm seeing on our uh, docket here but when I found out what city it was, I'm a little less surprised. <laughs> San Ramon is, you know, it's it's a fairly well-to-do, uh, very white, more conservative part of the Bay Area. I think I still bet it's blue, right? I mean, I don't, you know, I bet it's well, yeah. But they're discussing book bans, and this, this is book bans are like all the rage now in places like Florida and uh, well, Florida mostly. So. This is interesting there. Here's a local news story from the Fox affiliate on um, the school board discussing banning books, which seems antithetical to uh, school. Yes. <laughs> books is being debated in one East Bay school district. It was a packed meeting last night at the San Ramon Valley School Board as the board discussed new criteria for the process to ban specific books. This follows concerns by some parents over the book Gender Queer, a memoir. Today, it's a matter of indoctrination, uh, going after kids' hearts, minds, and souls with stuff that uh, neither their parents want, nor is it appropriate for those kids. Adorable. School district told the Mercury News the book in question has only been checked out twice in the past three years. Many speakers noted that much of the scrutiny was aimed at materials that explore LGBTQ themes. It's unfathomable how we could be here in this nation, in this day and age, talking about banning books where kids see themselves represented. That's why I find the need to be here. There was no vote to ban any books yesterday, and the district said it hadn't banned any books in the past. Well, there we go. That's that's good. They're like, no. 
Yeah, thank you. We have heard your public comment. We're terrified of this book that's been checked out twice in three years. Yeah, thank you, Karen. <laughs> uh, please enjoy some refreshments on the way out. We right. have we have sandwich rolls and you know potato chips. Have a good time. Like, Ooh. I don't. If the book's only been checked out twice in three years, then who who gives a fuck what the book is like? Yeah, you know that's uh, kind of kind of the deal, right? As soon as that's the point of the story. I was watching the clip earlier, and that's the point of the story where I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> well, what the fuck are we talking about here, man? Why 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 is this even a news story, right? Like, why are people showing up to uh, to gripe about a book been checked out twice? They're gonna um, Streisand affect this book, and all the kids are gonna start checking it out now. Watch, right? I mean, I would love to hear like how often books that were legitimately like you know uh, put up for like for banning back in the day, like Catcher in the Rye and those kind of how how often do those get checked out? Even probably never, right? Like unless unless it's on the curriculum. Uh, that's interesting. You yeah. should mention Catcher in the Rye because that that was a, that's a once you know book that people were attempting to ban and now it's like yeah. in like high school it's like required reading right and why because the, the f-bomb you know, like holden caulfield drops the f-bomb oh my goodness you know <laughs> my goodness my goodness that's pretty much it and it's like sexual situations something like that it would be rated r like right if it was made as a movie it would be rated r but it wouldn't be x i mean it was made into a movie oh no it wasn't we're not supposed, we're supposed to pretend that it was never made into a movie that's right we're supposed to pretend that the graduate had was had nothing to do with Catcher in the Rye. You know what? Um, if you've ever seen a film called Igby Goes Down with Kieran Culkin. Yeah, I thought, I that, thought that, was, that was when somebody showed it to me, I thought it was a pornography. I was like, why are we going to watch a pornography? And that was not a pornography. <laughs> no, I thought it was actually a very, uh, if you want a film that is pretty close, or not, not you know, close to the idiom of Catcher in the Rye, I thought that was it. Um, it's really hard to make that book into a movie, but we'll talk about that in another show entirely. So up next, we got um, Thieves Stole a Bus That Delivers Supplies to Cancer Patients. Fucking Yeah, great. I mean, shit's just getting progressively worse and worse on Winners and Losers this week. I know. This is, hopefully, hopefully, I promise Conspiracy Bingo will be fun and not terrifying. Wait, no, that's not true either. God damn it. I, I think sh Get Your Shit Together will be a little bit, you know, a more of a, a, a breath of fresh air. New at 10, a Bay Area nonprofit says thieves have stolen a bus that carries supplies to cancer patients. The bus has been recovered, but it's damaged and almost everything inside was ripped off. KTV's Amber Lee live tonight in San Mateo with more on the story. Amber? Mike, we're outside the offices of Bay Area Cancer Connections. Now, the bus was parked behind this building when it was stolen, and the executive director tells me the loss is devastating, but that the nonprofit is determined to bounce back. So this is our mobile resource center, and so here's where we, we would have kept all the wigs. Wigs, hats, and other items for women battling breast and ovarian cancer were stolen along with this bus operated by Bay Area Cancer Connections. They a stole the wigs and the hats? The Seriously. On site, motherfucker. <laughs> Not only because the bus is out of commission, it's going to be expensive to fix, um, but also replacing all those things that we had for our, our patients. Executive Director Rena Bello says she got the bus back Sunday, about a week after it was stolen during the President's Day holiday weekend. All these racks here had all the bras on them. The catalytic converter was also stolen. Well, of course. Was forced to cancel an event to serve patients Saturday in Newark. Whenever we have to pull back a service, it's 
painful. The bus is used to bring items to patients in places such as San Francisco and all over the Bay Area and as far south as Salinas to bring comfort. Many of the women are low income. The items and services offered are free. They're brand new. Uh, and it's, it's a wig. Shannon Wiley of Alameda is undergoing treatment for breast cancer and is among the 2,600 patients the nonprofit serves each year. I felt violated. It's important to me and to others to, to get these, these items and, and they help in so many ways. The bus was kept here. The bus was stolen while parked behind the offices of Bay Area Cancer Connections. It was recovered less than two miles away. Bello has a message for the thieves. We just want our stuff back if you, you know, if they can give it back to us. I thought her message was going to be come catch these hands. <laughs> the nonprofit plans to keep its appointment to be at San Francisco I will find General you. tomorrow. But Bello says it will only be able to provide items for five patients instead of 14. Police say so far no one's been arrested, but that investigators are reviewing surveillance videos. Mike. The nonprofit does wonderful work. Let's hope that they do get all of those items back. Amber Lee, live tonight. My God, just what, a, what an awful story. Yeah, seriously, what trash people? Come on. We've, we've covered a couple of stories. Somebody in chat had mentioned we've covered a couple of stories where nonprofits had their vehicles and the contents of their vehicles stolen. It's and a often, theme. We all, and oftentimes, know. like, it just seems like, you know, they took what was valuable and probably ditched what they didn't think was valuable. They probably did it kind of in a hurry or whatever. And, uh, you know, what a mess. Just what a fucking mess. Yeah, uh, well, hopefully they'll be made whole um, and uh, get a GoFundMe going or something like that to, to recoup yeah, you know, their losses. If you got a couple bucks, that's, uh, what is that, B-A-C-C, is that right? B-A-C-C? Yeah, Bay Area, Bay Area Cancer Connection. Yeah, if you got a few bucks, you know, maybe you could send it their way. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Well, Our massive yeah, audience for absolutely. Down Ballot will fix this. <laughs> yes, listener, listener, viewer, please, chat. I see you in the chat. I'm watching you. All right, well, uh, shall we get our shit together? Yeah, San Francisco needs to get its shit together. This is a story we've been covering for, I think, the better part of a month now. Um, this is about yeah. Cap Street. Um, yeah. Very gentrified part of the mission, it seems like. And uh, there was a lot of sex work going on, and so they, uh, the city decided to put up barriers, which I don't understand because most of the sex workers were on foot. And I'm sure their johns were in a car, but all you got to do is drive around a block, like, and all it was doing seems to me was inconveniencing the people who live in the neighborhood. And it, this has actually sparked a larger conversation about potentially uh, legalizing or decriminalizing sex work in San Francisco. So let's see what <laughs> let's see what's going on here. It looks like some of these uh, barriers might be uh, it might be against the law for the city to even put them there in the first place. Let's go. These barriers were supposed to stop alleged prostitution along San Francisco's Cap Street. But the ABC7 News I-Team has learned blocking streets like this may violate state statute and city code. Documents obtained by the I-Team show the plan. Here you see five intersections from 18th to 22nd Streets blocked with temporary barricades along Cap Street in the Mission District. The city has already ordered more permanent barriers intended to last longer. My understanding is that there are water-based barriers that are under order. So those are still planned to arrive in a week. Supervisor Hillary Ronan says the concrete barriers will soon be replaced with these water-filled barriers. 
fire department does not like those either. They don't like the concrete ones or the water periods. The fire department is worried about delayed emergency response times. But that's not the only reason the plan is drawing controversy. Both purchases may not be taxpayer money well spent. It turns out it may be in violation of state statute and city ordinance to place any barrier on this street at all. First, the California Vehicle Code states cities can only block streets in counties with more than 6 million people. San Francisco has just over 800,000 residents. Second, the state's fire code puts restrictions on where barriers can be placed to ensure fire trucks can turn around and respond to emergencies. The fire code specifies the type of access that fire trucks need to have for public safety. The vehicle code allows local governments to put limitations on traffic movement based on crime. So both of these have an effect. They need to be balanced. Attorney Chris Dolan explains the state's vehicle code allows cities to block off or shut down streets because of criminal activity, but says in order to do that, a public hearing must be held. But that involves there to be a public process, including consultation with the fire department and other safety forces. Many of the residents may have unique needs. For example, a resident may be disabled and may need to have a, a access to their garage at all hours of the day. But aside from a private community meeting, it's unclear if there was ever a public hearing to address this. The mayor made the ultimate decision and she uh, overrode the concerns of the fire department, and I understand why she did that. Ronan says the mayor made it clear they had to weigh all the options and determine the danger impacting this neighborhood took priority over response times. Welcome relief to residents who say the barricades are helping limit prostitution and reduce violence on the streets. So you are content with these barricades being in? You bet, forever. Forever? Yep. Barricades are, are ridiculous an imperfect solution. So the fact that you're bringing this to light at this point is a really important thing. These departments need to sit down now before a fire occurs. For the I-Team, Stephanie Sierra, ABC 7 News. The one guy was like, just leave him here forever. Right. I, I can't wait till they're, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I can't wait. That's awful. I would uh, be very curious to see what happens if there is a fire. Um. That's yeah, that's, a and, I mean, point. it's a it's a reasonable concern. Yeah, because if, it's, it's if it if it it's there to obstruct traffic and make it so uh, somebody who's trying to hire a sex worker has to go around the block. Well, that person's like in just a like a little car, like a fire engine. It's going to take longer to go around that block. Yes, very much so. Or, or I mean, what if it's on the block, right, where the barricades are, right, like. Uh, Ooh, interesting. Well, God, hopefully not. Hopefully that does not happen. Sorry, but people of San Francisco, I'm not wishing fire upon you. Um, but it uh, it does open the question, right? Well, shall we head down ballot? Yeah, let's go on to down ballot. Watch this is the segment of the show where we kind of cover like politics that are like politics, like city council, school board stuff, politics, politics, politics. Um, yeah, so we're up at, we're up in Oakland right now. It looks, like, board it looks like there's an opening on the Oakland school board because of some kind of election snafu. Let's see what's going on here. You'll remember this one. is looking for a way to replace him. Last November, Resnick was declared the winner of the election, but he resigned after there was an error in ranked choice voting that showed Mike Hutchinson 
actually won the race. However, he can't just fill the seat now because the election was already certified. The school board has 60 days to decide how to fill that vacancy, either by an appointment or by calling a special election. Just appoint the guy who actually won. Boom, you're done. That's it. Just that's it. That, you're done. You like that, there, there's no there's no uh, that's the good option. Yeah, that's why this is a 30 second hit, because that, that's exactly what's going to happen uh, is that H- the Hutchinson gentleman is going to get appointed more than likely. Um, so good on this. This dude uh, for stepping down, dude, bro, with the beard, rocking the beard. I love it um, for stepping aside and recognizing the the winds that are blowing in his face. Um but yeah, uh, nothing against ranked choice voting. It actually worked. It's just that the calculation was wrong. Yeah, somebody made a mistake or whatever. That's fine. People make mistakes. Right. People make mistakes at work and volunteer jobs all the time. No fucking no shade from me. Right. So it's unfortunate that you can't go back and just say, oh, wait, hold on. Um, because it was certified, which means someone like the school board approved the election returns, right? And the results. Um, so we got we to shore up that and clean that up a bit, I'd say. <laughs> Um, but this is, again, one of those uh, shining examples uh, that are the exception that prove the rule, right? Um, yeah, and I mean, the most- I mean, I think that, like, there could be, it'd be pretty easy to, like, amend something like a certification of an election to be like, this mm-hmm. election is certified unless, unless, unless it is, you know, the, some, you, the, some lawyer would have to massage it or whatever and make it, like, perfect. Um, unless shit happens. Right, unless some shit happened and the election, we got it wrong, right? <laughs> that would be. <laughs> very that, legal, very legalese. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, we're going to stay on the Oakland school board. They're uh, voting. They voted down some layoffs and some campus mergers for uh, 2023 and 2024. Let's see what uh, our local NBC affiliate has to say about all this. Teachers in Oakland have survived a budget cut, at least for now. Today, the base, Bob Riddell joining us live from the newsroom this morning. And Bob, last night, the Shh, in the newsroom. Proposals. You are correct. Good morning. They're just showing off their studio there. You see that? Failed to pass. Now, if passed, the fortress of solitude would have resulted in teacher layoffs, closed positions, and the mergers of at least ten schools starting next year. Now, board director Mike Hutchinson, who voted in favor for both of those proposals, argued the cuts were necessary because of declining enrollment. There's two thousand students roughly gone since the start of COVID. Also, less money is expected to be coming in if, as COVID funds are expiring, and the money that the district has, he argues, needs to be spent on retaining teachers. This morning, Director Hutchinson emailed us this, quote, I am very disappointed that the board did not approve the budget adjustment package. This puts OUSD in a difficult situation in terms of reprioritizing our budget for 23-24. Now, according to Oakland side, a District 1 director, Sam Davis, who abstained from voting on the one budget proposal but said yes to teacher layoffs, said at a town hall earlier this week that Oakland Unified is not in a fiscal crisis, but that the district has to reduce its spending to give the remaining teachers and staffs raises. Until March 15th to give notice for any potential layoffs, the board meets again a week from today. Reporting live, Bob Riddell, Today in the Bay. I like Bob a little bit. Bob's a little kind of scraggly. <laughs> Looks yeah. like he might have been hung over. I like him. Yeah, he's, he's pretty chill. I've met him before and been interviewed or done some stand-ups with him. Um, yeah, that's actually so. Spoiler alert: Mike Hutchinson did get appointed, and he was the one who was quoted in, uh, all over that piece um, about this policy. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's exactly what happened, and now he's affecting uh, policy for the Oakland Unified School District. 
and good on the teachers for rallying and uh, good on the, you know, I guess good on the parents for rallying to save their schools from consolidation, but it's, it's only delaying the inevitable. The more students, uh, you know, jump on the exodus train from public schools and the more parents send their kids to charters or private schools, um, or just leave the area entirely, um, leave cities entirely. You're going to see declining enrollment, which means declining funding, which means layoffs, which means and it's. I mean, it's closures. not just it's not just people sending their kids to private schools. Less and less, <clears throat> less and less families with young kids can afford to live in Oakland. Oakland is not cheap. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a lot. It's an exodus from cities, right, to to rural communities where it's um it's less expensive to live, right, and uh, the you know the parents may be commuting for work at some level, but they're not. The kids aren't going to commute two hours for school, right? Right. So they're so uh, rural school districts are going to benefit from the added enrollment, but the but the catch there is that they're not necessarily prepared for um, the need and the and for the the facilities and all of the infrastructure that it takes to actually educate these kids. So it's this sort of really weird reverse chicken egg catch twenty two. I don't know what you want to call it, but. Um, you know, we're going to have to see school closures here and then they're going to have to see rapid, you know, construction out in places like Elk Grove um, where people are moving to, right, to build schools that can accommodate all these kids. Well, you know, it is what it is. It'll it'll all eventually kind of even out or whatever, but it, yeah, it's kind of rough for the people who are going to stay in the city. For sure. Um, hopefully it evens out before it falls apart. That That's, that, that's the worry. That's what, that's what we're hoping for here. Um, we're going to yeah. move on here. We got... Uh, Looks like the BART director is uh, going to run for uh, Barbara Lee's U.S. House seat as uh, Barbara Lee, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is running for the empty seat in the Senate that uh, yeah, Diane like- Feinstein is leaving, uh, retiring from. Let's check out uh, how the news covers this. This is ABC7. Director Latifah Simon announced her bid to run for Congress today. Simon's announcement highlighted her years of activism and social justice before taking on the BART role. This political move means Simon could replace current East Bay Representative Barbara Lee, who's running for U.S. Senate. The announcement comes three days after Lee's rally to kickstart her campaign. Lee is running to replace Senator Dianne Feinstein, who's retiring at the end of her term. Cool. Yeah, another quick hit. It's the musical chairs of politics. So Barbara Lee declares for Senate. She can't run for her House seat at the same time as her Senate seat. So she's going to have to give that up. And now the mad scramble begins because any time there's a Bay Area congressional seat open, generally speaking, as long as you're towards the you know the middle of the Bay Area, the the, the, um, the cities as as it were, um, the more populated areas. Uh, you're going to see Democrats in those roles, and it tends to be pretty heavily Democratic. So more than likely if you're a democrat and you get into that seat you're going to be there for quite a while um and you're going to write be able to write your own ticket because there are no term limits for congress so uh we shall see uh bart director is jumping in a bart director um they actually have an there's an elected bart board so um so she has been elected uh, probably from the east bay to to um uh, work on bart related issues so transportation very important so hopefully that will, that will serve her well. But I'm sure there will be a million and one people seeking Barbara Lee's seat, um, much as there will be at least you know three heavy hitters seeking Diane Feinstein's seat. And it looks like uh, <clears throat> State Senator Scott Weiner is uh, exploring running, I guess, against Nancy Pelosi. Right? She she's not made any uh, noises about retiring. I don't think. 
Well, he's exploring, so it could be that he's just sort of exploring what, uh, what it would look like, um, perchance, if Nancy Pelosi were to retire. I mean, she is getting she's in her eighties, so it's it's not it's not at all um, out of the question, especially with her husband having the uh, you know the attack and suffering from the attack and the severe injuries. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> this guy's come up a lot on our show because a lot of people hate him because uh, we do conspiracy content, and uh, he is both. <laughs> Uh, gay and Jewish. And so if you could right. imagine this, uh, the, a lot of the conspiracy theorists uh, that we cover who are in California or even just in Rhode Island, but certain potato men hate this guy. But the, but the, but the, but the, yeah, it would be Hamburglar Dan Badondi hates him and uh, Austin Bennett, who we no longer cover. We actually made a rule, the Austin Bennett rule. Um, we don't cover him anymore, but yeah, they both like didn't oh. like this guy. They anyway, yeah, I think he'd be good. He'd be good at this, but, um, he has an unfortunate last name and with the queer with the queer panic going on around here he would be subject to unfortunately i think not only a, not only a dishonest propaganda from republicans but also maybe from more moderate democrats um you anyway, let's see what the local news uh local fox affiliate has to say about this San Francisco State Senator Scott Weiner is exploring a run for Congress. According to a spokesperson, the state senator has formed an exploratory committee for former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's seat. Weiner says he will only consider a run if she steps down at the end of her term. Pelosi stepped back from House leadership in November. In a statement, Weiner said in part, it's a privilege to serve our community as state senator, and I look forward to continuing to work day and night for the people of San Francisco. The primary election for Pelosi's congressional seat is in one year. She has yet to announce if she plans to run for re-election. I think she will. I think she'll do at least one more. Yeah, it seems like it. I haven't sensed that she's slowing down completely yet, and she probably has a few things she wants to see through and wants to maybe see if we can take back the House. Also, just on the, just on like a, these people, these people do have egos. And so like for her ego, I think it would be better if she served another term so that she didn't go like immediately, like no longer, like lose her speakership and then no longer in democratic leadership and then quits like Mm. bad for bad for your ego. Right. I think that's a (laughs) stupid reason. And I think it's, you know, I think that it would be, I think it would be if, if she were to step down, it would be, uh, a good time especially with feinstein stepping down because then it would be like a like a like a bring in some <clears throat> like new people into two seats that are you know fairly powerful for the state of california bringing the new people together those people mm-hmm. could they you know they're in different bodies but they could there'd be some like camaraderie among the two who come in together i just think there's a lot of good things about it but i don't think she's going to do it and i think it's mo- i think a, the ego is going to play into it big because it would just make sure. her She'd feel like she left as a loser, right? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it all depends how you go out. You can you can go out gracefully, or you can you know, go out like a oh god, who was it that uh, Pete Stark that uh, Eric Swallowell took? Out, speaking of a Dundee, Eric Swallowell took out. Um, so there's there's few there's different ways to to go out. Um, so and ego ego it does play a huge role. So we're going to go to and another thing. This is always, uh, yeah. usually we have an animal or a human interest story. And this week we actually do. Uh, we got uh, bald eagles at a, at a golf course. I I hope they don't get hit in the head with a golf ball. <laughs> <laughs> 
a rare sight at the Corico Park golf course in Alameda. A pair of bald eagles are building a nest in a tree near the maintenance area. Observers say the nest building has been going on for a couple of months now, and one of the photographers who's been following their progress told us the birds seem undisturbed by those work crews. Rick Lewis ah. shared some of his hundreds ah. of photos of those birds. The course's owner says the presence of those birds is awe-inspiring. Wow. Awe-inspiring America. How patriotic. Yeah, patriotic. I was like, I was getting like the hairs on my neck standing up. I wanted to like sing the national anthem. That's cool. I just, hope, beautiful. <clears throat> I just hope they picked a spot where they're not going to get hit in the head with a golf ball or something like that. For sure. For sure. Um, well, if you want, we have, if we have a couple seconds more, there's another yeah. human or animal, animal interest story, uh, but not, not as heartwarming as bald yeah. eagles. This one's, this one's more rain, more rats, a rodents. If they're cold, let them inside. Well, humans aren't the only ones who want to be out of the cold. Pests, rodents, and even wildlife have been finding their way into homes seeking shelter from the elements. NBC Bay Area's Emma Goss has more on the unusual places you might find these critters. And a warning here, some of this may be difficult to watch. Mm. Is your phone been ringing off the hook? All day long. People calling in, frantic, got rats running around inside the living area. Mario Martinez, owner of All-in-One Pest Eliminators, serviced 10 homes Tuesday, all in the East Bay, with infestations ranging from ants and roaches to mice and rats. His pest inspector, Rodney Douglas, says rodents aren't hiding in just the usual crawl spaces and attics. This winter, he's seen a lot more uninvited guests right out in the open in people's living spaces. You know, they're going for pet food and they're going through pet doors. In Lafayette, Gilbert Jaimez, owner of Ratman Pest and Termite Control, is seeing the same problem among his customers. are moving in too. Raccoons, possums, and most often, skunks. Oh, a family of five baby skunks from underneath the house. They love decks and they like to burrow underneath the foundation to get into homes. I would like to always point out that people go the less toxic way, you know, to start with. Inside Bill's Ace Hardware in Martinez, owner Bill Weigel is bracing for a surge in customers over the next few days when the rain lets up and homeowners have a chance to patch up any areas of their home that rodents are entering through. He recommends using steel wool and if you're using old-fashioned traps. Peanut butter works usually and uh, we've found recently that uh, plain walnuts for baking uh, that you could get at one of the grocery stores and put a couple chunks of that on there and uh, the mice usually will go for that. And you want to avoid using toxic chemicals against pests or rodents outdoors when it's raining or cold like this because those chemicals can get into storm drains and then into our streams and creeks. The number one thing is using the products in a safe manner. Reporting in Martinez, Emma Goss, NBC Bay Area News. They said, oh, some of this imagery might disturb you. Well, that was your choice, NBC Bay Area. You didn't have yeah. to show the the graphic things that you showed there. That Very much so. So sorry to bring everyone, anyone down who's a big skunk fan. That was kind of sad. Um, but I, I did appreciate the one pest control dude named Ratman. That's, that was classy. Um, and then there's a couple stories we uh, I don't think have video, but um, we can just follow up it. on we can follow up on this one real quick. If you were, if anybody remembers, longtime listeners to Down Ballot, there was a 
where was it? It was in the North Bay somewhere, right? Was it was it Napa. Sono- was it Sonoma? Sonoma County? Was that right? Yeah. I think it was Napa, wasn't it? To California. Was it Sonoma? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh in Napa. And remember it was like right next to the cop shop or right next to like it was in somebody's body shop. They found a bunch of pipe bombs and they the those people the people who they found the pipe bombs of, those people were plotting to blow up a Democratic Party headquarters. Well, those people got jail time. Yay. The the pipe bomb enthusiasts? Yeah, the pipe bomb enthusiasts got federal time. <laughs> got time uh, in federal prison. Uh, three years Pri- in federal prison, uh, one of them. Yay. And um, it looks like the other one got nine years in uh, federal prison. Good. These were on plea deals. The federal government doesn't charge you with things if they can't convict you generally. Um, and everybody pleads out. You know, we're yeah, not big no, on the, we're not big on the cops, but my God, if there's, if there's a place for law enforcement, it's going after people who plot to fucking blow shit up. Right. Like, yes. And, and for those who have not been following the story with us, I was uh, cracking wise at the expense of the attorneys or one of the attorneys for this, these folks who, Claimed that his client was a pipe bomb enthusiast and aficionado. Oh, I remember that. That was such a crazy. Like, oh, his lawyer was fucking crazy. Right. Like that's why he has a bunch of pipe bombs in his house. He just really likes pipe bombs. Ho- hobbyist. And collects them. He's a hobbyist, hobbyist, right? Like a somnambulist or whatever. Like you know, he's a he's into stamps, right? Um, no, he's into pipe bombs. Uh, he's into stamp putting stamps on pipe bombs and mailing them to Democratic Party headquarters. Um, so yeah, that it's, it's kind of like housing providers. It's adjacent to that. Right. <laughs> it's like, good lord. Anyway, um, so couldn't find any video of that one right away. And then this is another story we're definitely going to have to figure out what happened there. Where did you find this? Oh, uh, San Francisco the Standard. Oh, San nice. Francisco Standard. I just it just crossed my cool. feed because I, you know, I follow a bunch of people on uh, Twitter who, you know, do local news stuff or you know, are local advocates. Uh, people thought there was a human head on the tracks. Um, it wasn't. It was animal. But there remains. was not a head. It was animal oh. remains. Oh, how sad. Yeah, um, so. And yeah, there, there is one more story um, we'll bring you when there's video, hopefully, but the mayor of, Mil- the new mayor of Milpitas was um, flagged or, or is being investigated for having some sort of spiritual seance at Milpitas City Hall um, recently <laughs> off, on off hours. Well, I, I, apparently she was there with her spiritual advisor and getting a blessing and this was off hours, like on Sunday for whatever reason, and there was sage being burnt and someone complained. Oh this is some, the most down ballot fucking story. Of course it would be Melpitas oh, too. It's absolutely. And some maintenance worker complained and said that people were wearing robes and chanting and masks and all this other shit. Like, why is <laughs> shut or what? Yeah, right. I'll give you that the new mayor is, you know, she's kind of a piece of work, but um, she's that's not what was going on more than likely. And Rich Tran, of, of all people, is stepping up to defend her. So there oh. you go. Well, there we go. I would, I would, if I was the new mayor of Milpitas, I would want Rich Tran to step up and shut the fuck up. Yeah, well, he, he apparently had his spiritual advisor come in and pray with him at City Hall a, f- a number of times, so he doesn't see what the problem was. Well, there we go. Well, that's been down, Bell. Um, you want to read the show out? Absolutely, Producer Dave. Thank you so much, as always, for uh, partnering with me and with us and with our listener and viewer. It's a team effort here on Down Ballot. We we serve uh, our, the, the community here in the South Bay area, but we also uh, serve the world because all politics is local, and that's what you learn by listening and watching Down Ballot. Uh, we hope that you will make sure you get vaxxed, make sure you wear a mask, Pants are optional. We've got audible smoke coming up here and stay tuned for conspiracy bingo. It's going to be lit. Hope you have a great night. Peace.
Everybody, we got a brand new swag shop. It's powered by Fourth Wall, and it's really great. It's at eplex.store. That's e p l e x dot store. Hopefully, you find something there you like. I'm partial to the one with Jordan Peterson and Jesus. <laughs>